There is no reason, no place to call home when you're lost in the city, city you've been living. What is the question? Well, there's no answer, not even now. Hi, welcome. This is Scott Donaghy, the uh, CEO and the founder of Companies for Zero Waste. Uh, we have a podcast today, and I wanted to welcome our chairman, who's going to be hosting the podcast, Dave Gajadar, who is the CEO of Resultant Group. And he's going to be hosting Doreen Harris, who is the acting president and CEO of NYSERDA. So we're very excited to have this opportunity. Uh, why don't we take it from here, Dave? Now I'm going to roll out the red carpet for you, and we'll begin this. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I appreciate it. We have on, on the line, as Scott said, uh, Doreen Harris, and we're from NYSERDA. So, Doreen, would you mind just providing our audience a quick overview of your role and what you uh, what your responsibilities are at NYSERDA? And thanks. Great. Yes. Um, good afternoon, Dave, and thank you, Scott. I'm glad to speak with everyone today. Um, my name is Doreen Harris. I'm the acting president and CEO of NYSERDA. Uh, NYSERDA um, hopefully is a very well-known entity among the listeners, but we are the state's uh, clean energy agency. We focus on building a clean, resilient, and affordable energy system for New York. And um, NYSERDA has many responsibilities in fulfilling New York's nation-leading goals, which we're exciting, excited to, to talk about today. Thanks, Doreen. Doreen, you, you uh, recently took over the role as acting president and CEO in during these unprecedented times, things are transitioning and, and moving forward. You have multiple priorities uh, probably coming at you, and uh, the playing field is probably not as stable as it is as during so-called previous COVID times. How is the transition going, and how is your priorities changing in the role to, to meet the continuous change that we're dealing with today. Sure. Yes, it, it is true. Um, although I have worked um, at NYSERDA for going on 10 years, I'm just a little over a month into a new role as acting president and CEO here at NYSERDA. Um, certainly, it is a exciting opportunity for me professionally uh, but as you note, uh, particularly challenging and impactful time for us in New York and for those of us working in the clean energy industry at large. Um, New York was hit especially hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. And although we're very encouraged by our status um, now, having, having um, really reached um, a very, very important milestones with regard to our um, recovery. I will say that the rebuilding efforts have have certainly begun here in New York, and we really do see clean energy as a very important tool to jumpstart our economy and to to get people back to work and to get our clean energy industry thriving here in New York. So. Um, so that's my focus. Um, my focus is to execute on our nation leading goals for clean energy under the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which Governor Cuomo signed into law last July. 
um, Governor Cuomo has been and continues to be a very, very strong leader in this space um, with regard to these commitments with New York really leading the way. Um, specifically now um, with very uh, important and significant mandated goals of economy-wide carbon neutrality um, and an a, a carbon-free emissions electricity sector by 2040, which is faster than any other state is seeking um, to reach those goals. So NYSERDA is really at the heart of the, our state's effort as I said, to serve the dual purpose of jumpstarting our economy and also achieving the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act goals. And, and really, that has set us forth uh, with a very significant mission, uh, not only on a daily basis, but on a longer-term basis as we rebuild from COVID-19 and we, again, use clean energy to help us do so. So for me, um, you had asked about my priorities for NYSERDA. Um, I have said uh, previously that I've been with um, NYSERDA for almost 10 years. And I, and I would say that among my goals, um, top of the list is really to maintain and build on the, the incredible um, progress we are making as an agency in contributing to, to our leadership um, and really to help and support the people at NYSERDA in doing so. So we, under the CLCPA, have very significant goals ahead of us. And NYSERDA, um, I'm committed to support our teams uh, to, to achieve those goals. But for NYSERDA, in terms of its mission, um, it is true that we have a very significant um, objective um, to address the threat of climate change as a state and certainly um, for all of us as a region beyond that. Um, the threat of climate change has become far more evident, real and imminent um, for us, so as to require us to move swiftly and definitively to address um, those challenges. But also we have the ability in doing so to improve and adapt our economy and our environment. So that is um, uh, equal priority, along with really thinking about questions of equity and inclusivity in our economy so that we are ensuring that all New Yorkers benefit from these commitments and, and a very clear focus as exists in the CLCPA to that effect. Um, we, we also want to create healthier communities um, to maintain our engagement with labor and workforce and really to put climate justice at the forefront as an agency. So that's a long answer, but it's a big challenge. And right. it's one that we believe is really a moment for us at NYSERDA and for us as a state to work together to not only achieve these goals, but to benefit all New Yorkers. Oh, that sounds good. Um, Doreen, if you don't mind, um, most of our audience is across North America. And uh, one of the things, that, if you wouldn't mind, is just explaining, giving us, giving us a little more in-depth overview of what the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act is, so that our listeners get a clear understanding of what you guys are trying to do. Just get a quick overview of, uh, you know, quick summary of it. Sure. Yes. Um, so this is New York's climate law. Um, it was signed into law last year here in New York by Governor Cuomo. 
And it is um, very important for New York, um, first of all, to have this not only in law, but also to be leading um, the most aggressive climate and clean energy initiative in the nation. So what the CLCPA, as we refer to it, is, it is a very specific path um, and a very specific approach to transition to a clean energy economy and to clean energy as a resource um, that will create jobs and foster this green economy for New York as we build back now from the COVID pandemic. And so what the CLCPA does is it establishes a very um, specific ramp up to achieve the goals that I mentioned earlier, which along with targets for renewable energy to be 70% by 2030 and carbon free by um, 100 percent carbon free by 2040. But it also has um, a requirement for a Climate Action Council, of which NYSERDA and the Department of Environmental Conservation lead, which is an important deliverable of a scoping plan to explicitly reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 85 percent from 1990 levels by 2050, and to tangibly ensure that 35 or more um, percent of the benefits of these investments are directed toward disadvantaged communities. So this is a very aggressive um, but achievable goal that we now have in law, and it is guiding our work at NYSERDA as we put together our, our playbook, if you will, um, to move us forward toward the achievement of those goals. Yeah, you talked about uh, clean energy generation. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is that you have a 70% target of a clean energy generation and 100% carbon free by 2040. Mm-hmm. And um, is that focused basically on solar and wind or including other alternative energy sources? So when we think, um, when we speak to the question of renewable energy, there is there are very specific definitions in the CLCPA as to, you know, really the re- resources we would be looking for to achieve that goal. In large part, um, the renewables that we would include um, in that definition would include solar, land-based wind, um, but also hydroelectric um, generation. Um, as the primary contributors. And then importantly, within the definition of wind um, contained within the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act is a 9,000 megawatt offshore wind goal to achieve by uh, by 2030, 2035, sorry, broke up there for a second. which means that really when we think about how we get from here to there, we have a number of resources upon which to rely, um, which includes all of those resources together. And in fact, as we speak, um, we've proposed a specific path um, to get to 70 by 30 um, and, and are working through the procurements to do so as well. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about wind energy, um... At the same time, I've noticed that uh, Governor Cuomo has announced a renewable renewable energy solicitation uh, initiative, and he announced also a second offshore wind solicitation with 200 million opportunity for New York ports. What can you share about that initiative, and how is that bundled with other projects with the port infrastructure? 
Sure. Yes. It's been, uh, I mentioned I've been um, in this position for just over a month. And in that month, we have been, um, there's been three actually very significant announcements um, that Governor Cuomo has made. Um, first, around <clears throat> the built environment, um, buildings and the like, which I'd be happy to talk about. Second, around transportation. And third, around power generation, which is the um, topic of, of your question in particular. Right. But it's important to note that we really are looking across all sectors uh, of our economy and really looking to decarbonize all, all of those sources. But with regard to renewable um, generation, Yes, in July, um, a very significant step was taken um, with the announcement of the largest combined solicitations for renewable energy ever issued by a U.S. state. All told, um, those solicitations seek 4,000 megawatts of renewable capacity, which is um, not only significant, but unprecedented in its scale. And those solicitations are comprised of three separate opportunities. Um, two land-based renewable solicitations for wind, solar, and other resources issued first by NYSERDA and the second by the New York Power Authority. But to your question in particular, there was a third solicitation issued by NYSERDA for offshore wind, which um, actually is combined with a solicitation for port infrastructure um, investments in New York. And this is a really exciting um, announcement, which builds on our awards, which were announced last year of our first portfolio of offshore wind projects that are now under development. But in this case, we are looking for up to 2,500 megawatts of offshore wind and a complementary investment in port infrastructure in New York that actually between public and private investments will total more than $400 million. And the reason for us <clears throat> for that combination is because we want to maximize, first of all, the, um, the private market involvement in these investments. So we're excited about the opportunity to bring together the generators of offshore wind with the suppliers of offshore wind components with the port operators um, here in New York to create really this competitive but significant investment that will bring forth all of those um, goals here in New York. And it will help us, we believe, to capture not only the supply chain activities in, the, in New York, but also to create uh, a market pull that will bring investments in port infrastructure that the private market is excited to make. Um, that will allow us to have not only the best facilities identified, but also the biggest, the, the highest level of investment um, in the long term. Um, we've been looking at ports in New York for a long time. Um, we've spent uh, many years investigating and working with the various port facilities here in New York. And we were pleased actually last year to have qualified 11 sites in New York, all the way from Long Island up to the capital region that are now eligible to partner with generators of offshore wind and, um, and create this multi-sector opportunity through this solicitation. No, that's great. I mean, one of the things that I'm, 
I heard you say this that you you guys are taking a more holistic view upstream, midstream, downstream, and also to the end user for as far as the energy spectrum goes. And I think that's really critical in as you transition to any new source of energy. But one of the questions that comes to mind is that as we transition from fossil fuel to alternative sources of energy. We want to make sure we avoid some of the mistakes that we've made in the past, you know, through the last industrial revolution and the fossil fuel age. As we move forward uh, in the design development infrastructure with renewable energies, whether it be wind, solar, or any other alternative hydro sector, is NYSERDA considering the end of life and the deconstruction of these assets as we move forward and how that would be dealt with? At the, before implementation. Yes, um, certainly. And in fact, I really didn't get into this too much earlier, but um, we have, and I, I think would be universally agreed upon, conducted um, the most extensive assessment of offshore wind, not only potential, but considerations um, really in the last five to 10 years, culminating in the issuance of our offshore wind master plan, which looked at offshore wind development from you know, social, environmental, economic, and, um, and life cycle issues as well. And so when we investigate and buy as we are to now um, with regard to the solicitation that I just mentioned, right. we have the ability to put those goals into practice and to place requirements on developers to bring forth not only the best projects, but also those that are developed in the most responsible manner. And so we have some pretty interesting aspects of this year's solicitation that I'd be happy to, to discuss. But with regard to the project design itself, Although New York is clearly leading the way with regard to our commitments and the achievements thereof, it is true that there are aspects of offshore wind development that fall in the jurisdiction of other, um, of other parties. And a good example of that is permitting. So these projects are actually located in federal waters and as such are permitted through the department the federal department of interiors bureau of ocean energy management and those permits you know through the permitting process um, there is very explicit and significant um, consideration and requirements put forth on the operators of the projects to include decommissioning plans and decommissioning um, strategies as part of their their permits to begin with. So in our work as the mass, uh, through the master plan, we really worked with the federal government to ensure that those requirements met our standards, but they're ultimately implemented through the federal government. Okay. Yeah, be, you know, because one of the things that you we hear over and over again, that renewable energy is not, it has social and environmental impacts. And what we're trying to do is finding ways to not only bring it to light as we transition to better and cleaner sources of energy, but to mitigate some of the emissions and the land disturbances and also the landfill potential that we're seeing right now with solar panels and, and end-of-life wind turbines that's ending up in landfills right now. So as we have these discussions, it's good to hear that these, these end-of-life issues are being addressed early on in the initiatives, and that's very encouraging. 
Yes, I would I would agree, and and clearly this is true not only of offshore, as you point out, not only of offshore wind, but other, you know, other projects uh, on land as well. Right. Would I would agree fully. You know, and we're seeing a lot of development and advancement in emerging technologies around the ty- different types of solar panels and so- and also the engineering around wind turbines and the amount of concrete and emissions and stuff that's required to develop these spaces. And it's not that's not a necessarily a bad thing, but it's just a matter of how we mitigate those wastes as we go forward. And if we design that out, I think it would be helpful as we move forward and also share the story with others. A couple of things that we'd be interested in is looking at some of the metrics that's being used across in different industries as they develop these infrastructure plans and decommissioning initiatives. How is it measured? How is it reported? You know, so that we learn as we go forward and not everyone pointing figures and creating this adversarial network of us against them sort of thing. I think it's a collaboration that has to go forward that we all share and support each other to get the best outcome we want. And uh, one of the things that Companies for Zero Waste that we do is we wanted to make sure that we don't see it as when we move forward or transition, it's always a learning experience. It's we don't we only know what we know today. Tomorrow we may know something else. So if we if we are right today, we prepared to be wrong tomorrow. And how do we move forward? And, the, and based on what you're telling me and what you're saying about the initiative under NYSERDA, it's encouraging to hear that you guys are taking the steps based on current knowledge, science, and engineering to move in the right direction. I can't stress that enough. I would agree with you. This is, um, you know, these are very complex infrastructure projects that we're referring to, you know, we're, we're planning and building. And and really the way that New York has, has worked to address, you know, many of these issues is first of all, by thinking about these issues comprehensively to recognize that there are impacts. Um, and so our goal as with any is to first of all, avoid those impacts to the extent possible. But in the case that you can't avoid them for those areas which cannot be avoided, they need to be minimized and ultimately mitigated. And I think, you know, in general, our master plan is indicative of that commitment. Um, we really learned a lot along the way, but we certainly are not done learning um, and and have used uh, these years to help build what we believe is the most robust procurement process that brings forth the best projects. You know, that's the benefit of in New York of NYSERDA being in the position of both planning and procuring because we can set the set the stage for the rules that we ultimately will incorporate into these procurements. No, that's on that's that's great. Um and thanks for sharing that. You know, a couple of things as we move forward, you know, regarding what NYSERDA is doing. And you're also signaling to industry to consider mitigating carbon footprint with projects and design in conjunction to what you guys are doing. So how is that collaboration taking place and what is the incentive for organizations to partner or collaborate or share ideas with NYSERDA to move in the right direction? Yes, it is. It is true. We know that renewable energy technologies, of course, are are carbon free from the perspective of their operating approach and their generation. But we do know that there is an impact um, on their component manufacturing, construction and installation. And as I described, the CLCPA 
has a goal not only to decarbonize the electricity sector, but also to put New York on a pathway to a fully decarbonized economy. And so, as I had indicated, um, we at NYSERDA, as the buyer of these renewables, have the ability to express preferences and to place requirements um, that we believe will bring the industry forward in an important and impactful manner. And in this case, this year's land-based and offshore wind solicitations include a provision that reflect consideration of the carbon footprint of the project itself, from its design, construction, all the way through decommissioning, and including consideration of the associated energy and carbon paybacks um, as well. And so what this is doing is it's sending a clear signal that we in New York are looking to buy clean to the extent possible and to spur the use of advanced materials. Um, cement being a very good example of this as a major component of some offshore wind projects, but also uh, components like steel, aluminum, and others um, that really uh, express a goal to move the industry in that direction. So we know this is a rapidly changing um, situation and that these projects are many years in the making, but just as was the case with regard to some of the other considerations we discussed, we know that our buying power can bring forth change for, for the better, and that's really what we're seeking this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the things that I would like to add to that is that I think it's a good story to tell and we should be able to share this uh, the metrics of moving forward and how you're building on that knowledge to also not only collaborate but measure and control success for the 70-30 goals and also to be 100% carbon free in 20, year, in, in, uh, 20 years which is not very far. If you were to backcast <laughs> on 20, uh, in 2040 to now it's almost it would appear to be an unachievable target because the timeline is so short. And, you know, these infrastructure projects and procurement processes and supply chain manufacturing design takes a long time. And uh, to have those goals and metrics in place and an organization to provide oversight, it's very, very encouraging from, from my perspective anyway. And one of the things that I would like to see is that if we can tell this story and share the story, just let others know that, you know what, there are people doing this, so let's learn from each other and, and see if we could build it out in a way that it would provide value to all organizations across North America as, as a starting point. Yes, I would agree with that assessment, and I think that is for those of us imp implementing the CLCPA. It's one of the benefits of to your point, how significant and how near-term these goals are. Um, they are reflective of the crisis that we are in the midst of and the urgency of the need to address it. And when you have goals of this magnitude and timelines of this nature, it just requires you to rethink fundamentally the approaches that you're taking. And in a way, it's liberating because it removes you know, the... the um, the, the aspects that you would normally think are unchangeable are often changeable um, because of the goals that New York has set and the timelines that we're working within. So, so when we run a solicitation like this, even though the projects themselves won't be operating for you know a number of years, 
we know what we're actually doing is what will happen in the future <laughs> will be that we'll be thanking ourselves um, for the the considerations that we're now putting into place because of the long-term impacts of our decisions today. And really that's that's what New York is doing. You know, we have very significant goals, but we also have very comprehensive approaches to achieve them. Another good example of the practicality of our goals is that we are working very closely with um, labor, um, organized labor in the development of these projects. We have um, firm requirements around the payment of prevailing wage and in the, ch in the case of offshore wind uh, requirement to negotiate project labor agreements. And the reasons for it is just that. We want to bring forth the maximum benefits for New York, but also the best projects. And we know that these are very complicated projects that we need to operate for many years. And we're really excited about the opportunity that this presents um, for New York as well. So I think when you think about New York, you should not only think about the the nature of our goals, but also the comprehensive way that we seek to achieve them. Yeah, from listening to- Dorian, I had a quick question. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah, sure, go ahead, Scott. Dave? Yes. Oh, sure. Dorian, I just, I wanted to ask you a question in terms of um, oil and gas sector, obviously, you know, it's got hit really hard in the last year. Um, you know, from your view, there are going to be a lot of people that may be losing their jobs in other sectors. How do they transition some of these engineers and some of these very, you know, intelligent people that want to make a difference in sustainability from another sector into renewable energy, like in terms of getting a job and getting a good background? Maybe you can help us understand that, you know, from your lens. Yeah, of course. It it is the case that um, New York has really been thinking hard about these issues. And in fact, they're embedded within the considerations around the CLCPA. Um, within the law mm -hmm. is the requirement of the formation of a just transition working group, which is mm -hmm. really with this exact goal in mind, which is to say that these are brand new industries coming into our state. And that there is a change to be that's needed um, from those workers who will need new skills and new abilities, uh, new capabilities to meet these goals. And so, not only does NYSERDA invest extensively in workforce development, and as I just indicated, have a very strong partnership with labor through this working group and otherwise, we have the framework um, which. Um, which will allow us really to spur this transition in a way that takes into account the need for um, for a strong partnership with labor, with New York's Department of Labor and, and beyond. And that would only be exacerbated obviously by the COVID pandemic. Um, we in New York still have, I just heard the figures, um, we have over 3 million people still claiming un unemployment insurance in New York State. So that wow. is a huge challenge, but it is also a huge opportunity for us um, because now mm -hmm. we have the ability to use this resource um, to get these people back to work, but also to train them for the transition. Um, in fact, last year, just specific to offshore wind, um, there was an announcement from Governor Cuomo about a, the Offshore Wind Training Institute that is now mm -hmm. underway in, in New York, um, housed at two SUNY schools um, 
at Stony Brook and Farmingdale. And that's just what we need. We need to invest in training um, and also do so in partnership with industry. To your point, um, we need obviously to understand the needs and then to fill those needs with New Yorkers. Yeah, I'm just looking at the time here, Thank you. and, and I, just want, I just wanted to wrap this up. And what I'm hearing from the discussion so far is that basically Minnesota and New York is is using the transition to affordable, reliable, and sustainable energy to promote an inclusive and sustainable economic growth, build resilient communities and innovation, industrialize faster, and also maintain cities and, and settlements that are safe, resilient. And, and also to take action on not only support climate change, but to promote the economic growth across the board and uh, using a partnership framework as we go forward to strengthen the means of implementation and, real, and revitalize goals of partnerships and sustainable development. And this is very encouraging. So if you put all these pieces together, you're also aligning with the global sub sustainability goals. And there's some major pieces in here that aligns to it, which is great to hear, and also support it. We, we need to support it and also tell the story and the successes as we move forward. Appreciate your time. Any last comments you'd like to leave for our listeners or how do we follow and keep in touch with what NYSERDA is doing? Well, um, I would only say uh, that I would certainly keep an active eye on New York in terms of uh, how seriously we are, as I said, to achieving our goals and doing so in a comprehensive manner. I mean, in the last month alone, these three major announcements are indicative of the seriousness of that commitment. And and really, as these projects move forward, there's huge opportunities for many to, to benefit. So no, I appreciate the opportunity. I um, wanna thank both you, Dave, and you, Scott, for um, inviting me to speak today. No, appreciate it, and thank you for taking yeah, the thank time you. to join us. And uh, we will all be right. in touch, and have a great day, and be safe. Thank you all. Thank you, take thank care. You. Not even uh, meaning at all. It's not a place you can hide